May I direct your thoughts to the 21st chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 21 in the Gospel of Matthew and verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. It is interesting to notice how the Old Testament and the New Testament stand together. The one complements the other. Here you have Psalm 8 in part quoted by our Lord and you can follow that quotation and the comments made with respect to it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 and in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 6 to 9. All of them relate to the triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem, prophesied by Zechariah, and the prophecy is in the ninth chapter and the ninth verse. And it is... It reads thus, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, thou daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And of course, it is wonderful how the Old Testament is necessary to interpret the New Testament and the New Testament is necessary to interpret the Old Testament. They both stand together and uh, we see that illustrated for us in the case of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The resurrection had taken place, but the disciples had come to another conclusion that Jesus was still dead, that he was in his tomb. And even when 
word went around, chiefly from the women, that the tomb was empty, Mary Magdalene being foremost, as a news bearer on what news she had to carry. And nevertheless, the disciples still questioned in their minds what had happened. And even Mary Magdalene, somehow or another, came to a very uh, uh, sad conclusion. And uh, you will recall when she turned and saw whom she thought was the gardener, she asked him where he, she, if he, where was he taken? Where was the body taken to tell her? And she would take it and look after it. Uh, what a wonderful love that Mary Magdalene had uh, to our Lord. But what a more wonderful love our Lord had towards Mary Magdalene out of whom he cast seven devils. You would have said that hope for salvation with respect to Mary Magdalene as she was, was unthinkable. Devil possessed to the extent that she would be scarcely recognized as human. And yet, our Lord brings into that life what relights the humanity that Christ came to restore. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God does and can do. And it's an encouragement to yourselves and to myself. Uh, if you have loved ones that you may be still anxious about because of their lifestyle and the way that they look at things and you go back to the Bible and you see not what you can do by way of prayer or whatever other means that is open to you but what Jesus does and how the Holy Spirit can work where nobody else can work. Isn't it wonderful? Uh, the blessed and glorious Holy Trinity working a work that is unstoppable. Well, we see in the case of the two disciples that they were quite sad as they were walking away from Jerusalem to lodge in a certain place. And then this, as they thought, a stranger uh, joined their company and spoke to them. Why were they so sad? And they were quite shocked. Uh, did he not know of what had taken place in Jerusalem? Everybody knew surely, and uh, they spoke of this Jesus of Nazareth. And then he began to explain to them from the Old Testament 
truths with respect to Messiah, what would happen when Messiah would arrive. And as he spoke, they were lifted out of their sadness and hope reignited and they felt quite different. And when they came to the place that they were going to lodge in, they invited this stranger, as they thought, to come in with them and to stay the night. And our Lord did come in, and he disclosed his identity to them in the breaking of bread when he was when they had something to eat, and they immediately recognized who it was. Now, the connection with the Old Testament was such that it was able to throw light on what had happened at Jerusalem, and very, very clearly the disciples understood and saw that it was the fulfillment of Scripture. And uh, it is the same way when we go back uh, to the Old Testament, when we read of uh, various things with respect to what was happening to Israel, that the hope of Israel in the Old Testament rested upon Messiah. And uh, although the church in our Lord's day was what it was, there was no question in their minds as to the expectation of Messiah uh, because of what the Old Testament had made so clear. So, when we look at the Bible, it is a, a, a unity in itself, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there is no preacher or no theologian uh, who is of ordinary uh, humanity that can plumb its depths not in time at any rate, and I'm sure not in eternity. The Bible is such that in some places the human mind sees a contradiction, and uh, the human mind comes to conclusions with respect to God as to who he is and they concentrate on the severity rather than on the way in which God adapts humanity for its recovery, and it will recover. That doesn't mean that all will be saved. Scripture makes it very clear that on the Day of Judgment, there will be a separation. And 
the thought of that separation is a thought that lies heavily on a person who, who has some inkling of what it must be to uh, be separated from the love of God and to be shut in to the companionship of Satan and of devils. It's a terrible thought. And of course we cannot answer the questions bearing upon God who is the creator and how evil came into being. Nor can we answer how Satan came to Adam in the first place and said, or he came to Eve, I should have said, and said to her that uh, if they took of the forbidden fruit, that they would benefit from that because they would have knowledge of good and evil, just as God has. And when we go to scripture, for example, with Job and read what happened uh, to him and to his family and how scripture says that Satan appeared in the presence of God among the angelic hosts, we cannot explain how the presence of Satan would be in any way acceptable uh, before the presence of God. We cannot enter into these things. If we try to, we make a monster out of the Most High. We are guilty of the highest blasphemy. The atheist will soon tell you the awful things that are happening. For example, children being killed and that sort of thing. And he will say to you, if God is almighty, how does he allow such things to happen? We cannot enter into these things except that we firmly believe and are unable to believe that God is good, infinitely good, in all his attributes. And whatever the explanation is, it is an explanation that will never cast any shadow over the person of God and who he is, and he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Uh, it is strange how we think we know when we don't know. How often you and I have been in a company and we begin to talk about something that we don't know very much about 
and suddenly we find that we are totally out of our depths. And uh, we try to back out of the situation that we have brought ourselves in because our ignorance is so great. Now, if that is true, and it is true, and it's really quite embarrassing if you're in a company and somebody takes the central place talking about a subject and obviously he or she doesn't understand his or her subject and it's desperately embarrassing uh, uh, to be in a situation of that kind. It's so obvious. Oh, my dear friends, we are limited. We are finite beings. God is infinite, infinite in all his attributes, and certainly beyond what we are able to plumb or to search out. We have only to look at the world that declares who God is. It's full of his wonderful handiworks. It's a beautiful world. We have marred it without sin, but it's a really beautiful world. And when we look at that world, we ask ourselves, why are the waters of uh, a, a, um, the Mary Firth tidal and the waters of Loch Ness are not tidal? both water, but different. And we are told that the power of movement comes from what we cannot control. Uh, and yet, in looking and referring and thinking about these things, we come into a situation that is marvelous, quite miraculous, quite wonderful. The world is full of wonders of one kind or another. But anyway, let's get back to the text. And what I was trying to say was the way in which the Old Testament and the New Testament stand together and we see the meekness of the majesty of our Lord and Saviour. Uh, he rode upon the fall of an ass and the ass of course in Jewish times was the emblem of peace the horse was more for war, uh, but judges rode upon white asses, uh, and this was symbolic <coughs> of our Lord coming in peace uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, that's how he came to this world, full of love towards it. And 
the love of God is inexhaustible and so wonderful. And we see how God is revealed in Christ and his entry into Jerusalem at this time was as the king of peace. Not peace at any cost or at any price, but a glorious, honourable peace. A oneness that brings out the attributes in measure uh, with respect to the beauty of God himself. The beauty that is in him is in part related to his children. How beautiful they will be in the glory. And we cannot in any way uh, put a picture uh, on the state of those who have entered into the nearer presence of God. We cannot. Uh, and uh, all that we do know is that those who have died in Christ would not wish to come back as they were to this world even if they had the opportunity. Uh, and we are told that when it comes to the ultimate fulfillment of the purpose of God, we are told that they will be as the angels in heaven. Sometimes people in their sorrow speak of meeting again with their loved ones. Well, of course, they will meet with their loved ones as they will meet with all who are in heaven. Uh, there will be no differences such as are observable uh, in this life. Uh, but at all events, we see how our Lord comes uh, as in his meekness, oh, our beautiful Saviour, uh, how anyone can blaspheme that holy name. And we have done so ourselves in our former years. Uh, but it's a horrible thing, a horrible thing. Anyway, we see our Lord riding this colt uh, along a path on Mount Olivet. And there was a terrific gathering of people. Uh, he was coming from Bethany, and there were people coming to him from Bethany. And there were those, of course, who witnessed Lazarus, who had risen, who, who, whom Christ had raised from the dead. And there were those that were going from Jerusalem to meet him. They heard of it too. They wanted to see Lazarus. 
and uh, they wanted also to see our Lord. Uh, but there was uh, a, a mixture of, of, of feelings uh, uh, with respect to seeking to meet with our Lord and Saviour. There were those who were hostile to him, very hostile, and there were those who loved him, and uh, there was great excitement because whoever had heard of someone being raised from the dead, Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was indisputable. Uh, and there was now a great question as to the identity of the Lord Jesus himself. Was he Messiah or was he a fraudster? Uh, his followers believed that he was Messiah and his enemies didn't want to believe any good thing of our Lord and Saviour. Just shows you the irrationality of, uh, of, of human reaction. If you were to hear of somebody in Inverness, a doctor who had done some wonderful thing to enable a person to recover, you would be full of admiration for that doctor. And he would be known, very widely known, in medical circles. But to hear of someone who went about doing good to different people that men could not do, and to be accusing him of doing it through an evil power, through satanic power. It's unbelievable. Uh, if a person goes about doing good and showing kindness, surely the reaction is some appreciation. But there was no appreciation. There was such enmity. Jesus could do what they couldn't do. And because of the hardness of their unbelief, they dismissed him as a fraudster. Well, that is the situation as we see it. But just for a little while, I would like now to concentrate on the children that were present, the praise that they gave, and the resentment it caused. First of all, the children. Now, in every generation, God has received and shall receive great honors from children, uh, from young people and from simple-minded people. Our Savior delighted to dwell on such truths and uh, he speaks of the kingdom of heaven 
as open to the little ones and to babes. He said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And we read in Psalm 127, Lo, children are God's heritage, the womb's fruit, his reward. And it is lovely when you think of children loving the Lord. And you have them in every generation. And we can look only at what is available to us, what is lookable, what we can look, look into. Uh, for example, when you go back to the story of Samuel, uh, you can see how the relationship between Samuel and God found expression while he was still very, very young. And you may be sure that his mother taught him Hannah eh, and took time and prayerfully ministered to his eh, intellectual and his spiritual needs with respect to telling him about God. Uh, indeed, when you come to our Lord himself, uh, um, he, was, he, he was a babe. Uh, and we see when his mother uh, while still carrying the child, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, that when Elizabeth met her, uh, she greeted her with prophetic words. And she explained that the child that she was carrying, John the Baptist, who was still not born, uh, reacted within her womb at the sound of the mother's voice, the mother of our Lord. It's a beautiful situation. And we may be sure that Elizabeth uh, taught John the Baptist as a little child right up. Mothers have a wonderful place to play in bringing up children. Uh, they are the uh, queens in the, in the home. There's no question about that. A mother in a home is irreplaceable. A father has his own place, but not in the home in terms of what a mother is to her children. There is no question about that. And we see how great emphasis is laid upon children and it is a wonderful thing when you think of the situation in which 
uh, our Lord is speaking here. Uh, you can how these children were raising their hosannas. Now, the word hosanna, save, uh, it's taken from uh, the uh, hundred and. 18th Psalm, verse 25, and uh, it means save. We are told it's the same root word from which the name Jesus comes. It means save. And Hosanna in the highest. Now we are told that the Jews looked upon the atmosphere where the birds fly and where we see the clouds as the first heaven. And then they spoke about the starry heaven, where the stars are. And then they spoke of the heaven of heavens, which is, in a special sense, the domain of God. But all of these areas are subject to God. They are not greater than God. Oh, how great God must be, infinitely great, infinitely great. And here you have these little children, whatever their age group, we, don't, we, we are not told, uh, but we see uh, these children in praise, in the temple, crying out their hosannas, Hosanna in the highest, very clearly giving Jesus the place that belongs to God. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the God-man. We speak these words, they trip off our lips, but they are so profound that we cannot enter into the depth of meaning that comes forth, how it is possible for God to take to himself human nature, how Jesus who walked this earth was God, God in Christ, God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. What a beautiful, beautiful scripture. Um, and we see these little children giving Jesus the highest honor that a human being or an angelic being can give to God. Uh, but they were doing it in an atmosphere that was quite repulsive. The attitude of, remember that our Lord was moving towards Calvary. The forces of darkness were closing in upon him and soon he would be hanging from a cross and people in their hundreds, if not in their thousands, jeering at him and uh, doing all sorts of dishonor to him. Uh, 
and blaspheming his name. And here you have these children, not cowed, not afraid, in the midst of all the antagonism that was towards Christ, but they were speaking what they could not hold back, a natural outgoing of the expression of worship as they worshipped our Lord. It's such a beautiful picture. And of course, we see in all of this the almightiness of God, the almightiness of God, the power of the intellect or the understanding of these children surpassed those who had spent years in the study of the Bible. If you study the Bible and you don't find Christ, the Christ of God in it, then your study of the Bible has been in vain. Christ is the center of the Bible. He is the center of the Old and New Testament. You find him set forth as Messiah very clearly from the beginning. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. And you will find it running through the Old Testament, the expectation and the actual scene here uh, as depicted for us, Christ riding on the fall of an ass, quoted, uh, spoken by Zechariah the prophet. Uh, it is a quotation, part of it, from Zechariah. And uh, here you have these children spontaneously there was no showmanship there never is uh, in true piety once you get showmanship the piety is gone out the door no matter who it is you cannot preach self and preach Christ you cannot pretend to know what you don't know if you are relying upon your own intellect. No mind is able to plumb the very depths of who God is, how he works, the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. He comes and his work is unstoppable and he can save in a second the story is told of a person on horseback and he fell off his horse his way back and he said, between the stirrup and the ground I sought Christ and found. Uh, it is something that goes beyond uh, what, we can, what, 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 what we try uh, to grasp in relation 
to the exercise of a power. And no minister has that power. The minister is learning just like anybody else. And in a sense, he is a, well, at least I am, a very poor pupil and very slow to learn. Uh, but the power of Christ breaks into our ignorance, in our inability to receive, and that's what happened to these children. And what a wonderful thing it was, how these children praised the Lord in such an environment, and how beautiful that Jesus received it. Um, uh, are you afraid of uh, identifying yourself as a Christian, uh, wherever you are? I don't mean by saying that, that you, are, you go about trading words and you're in the face of those who are around you. But I mean when you are at your work, certain things are required of you to do, and you won't do it, because to do it would be dishonest. Do we show in the way that we live that we believe that there is a God who is ever-present? The story is told of a man with his son passing a turnip field and the father told the boy to hop over get a turnip and oh dad I, I can't do that oh he said nobody will see you God will see me and that is true uh, nobody else may see us or may know what's in our mind but God knows what's in our mind and God knows exactly what is uh, we look back at our predecessors and uh, how thankful we are for their memory. When you think of John Knox, Andrew Melville, and when you come to the Covenanters, men of stature and women of stature, you heard, I'm sure, of the story of the woman that was going to a conventicle. They weren't allowed to meet in public to worship. And they met on the moors and wherever they could. But the dragoons, the, they were all over the country. Uh, by this time, the Roman Catholic Church uh, had lost its grip in Scotland. And uh, some of them had joined, uh, um, oh, I can't get the name just now, this happens to me. Uh, but at all events, there was a terrible attitude towards evangelical believers. And these soldiers were there on the moors and everywhere questioning anybody they thought that would be going to any of these meetings. And they met this woman, and she told them that her brother had, had her elder brother had died, and that she was going to 
hear. The, the will was going to be read and she was going to hear if there was anything for her in his will. And of course the, the, the soldiers didn't understand what she was talking about. It, they took her literally and she went on. When we think of the present Christians in other lands who are suffering martyrdom for Christ's sake. And I recall some years ago reading, uh, I can't remember the details of the country or the place, but the person saying not to be praying that they would be delivered from the persecution, but that they would be unable to stand in the persecution. The love of Christ is a wonderful love. The love of the Holy Spirit enables the child to express what otherwise he couldn't express. So you have these children giving the praise and you have the resentment. And uh, they questioned our Lord and our Lord replied to them in the language of the Old Testament, which they should have known. That's what they were studying. It was the center of their studying. And he, he when the chief priests and, uh, and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. What a wonderful Redeemer. What a wonderful Redeemer. And how wonderful that the witness of Christ is maintained partly through children as through adults. And today you have the children who love the Lord Jesus and want to be his children. Let us pray. Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art the God of all grace. And we look to Thee for the blessings of the covenant, for our children, for our families, for our fellow sinners. O oh Lord Jesus, we pray that Thou wilt enable us to truly worship Thee in the Spirit. Have mercy upon us, for Thy great name's sake. Amen. Amen. We shall close singing in Psalm 127. 127. Except the Lord do build the house, the builders lose their pains.
Except the Lord the city keep, the watchman watch in vain. Psalm 127, the whole psalm to God's praise. Except the Lord do Thursday at the usual time of 7.30 p.m. will be taken by Mr. McGlynn. This will be the annual congregational meeting combined with a discussion of the vacancy. A kirk session will be held prior to this meeting at 7 p.m. Services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. taken by the Reverend William McLeod. Mrs. Clark is making steady progress and is hoping to be allowed home this week. There are leaflets on the table about a book written by the late Reverend Hugh Ferrier entitled Ministers of the Free North, Inverness, 1843 to 1974. If you wish to purchase copies of this book, Please add your name and the number of copies you would like to order to the sheet on the table. If ten or more copies are ordered by the congregation, the cost will be reduced to six pounds per copy. And all God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.